Well, as it's my first sermon of the new year, let me say happy new year. There was a wee thing in the radio the other day, and to uh, the disc jockey and whoever he had in the show was saying, how late in the year can you keep saying happy new year? You know, if it's the first time you've met someone since new year's, it's still okay to say happy new year. How long can you do that for? Well, at least to get this out of the way, we we'll don't have to worry about me doing it again from the pulpit for the rest of the year. And we can focus on the work that we have available to us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul begins that verse with the words, Let love be without hypocrisy. And for the last few sermons when I've been here on a Sunday morning, we've focused on this little word, love. First week we spoke about uh, the definition of what love is. We looked at agape and those kind of things. We put it in context with regard to other words. We've looked at um, God's love for mankind. And today we're going to be talking about man's love for God and how we should do it, what we should be doing, how we reflect the love that we ought to have for God, how our testimony of love should be known to others. And in our last lesson, we looked at one particular verse in 1 John 4, where it says that we know what love is, I think it's in about verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4, we know what love is because God is love, and God demonstrated his love toward us. God showed us what it means to love, to care about somebody, to have an investment in someone's life, and to consequently uh, react and, and, and deal with people in a particular way. I say react, I suppose maybe that's not the word to use, because really love is all about action, not reaction. It's about preemptive action, rather than reaction to other events. The love that we are supposed to have for God, for each other, and the love that God has for us, is a love of action. It is a love of intent. It is a love that commands the will, overwhelms the will, and subjugates it to the love that God has for all. It's a love that is not controlled by circumstances. It's a love that is not controlled by situations. It is a love that is controlled by the very nature of who God is who abides amongst us. It's especially good in this Lord's Day, this first day of the week, to have Morris and Polly with us. And there you go, guys. Two preachers have managed to say their names right this morning, despite all that they were saying in that background there. It's very good to see you this morning. I think the first time I met Morris, probably was the first time I met Polly, perhaps, um, they came up here from Newcastle. Um, Morris and a few other people, David probably came up, drove up from Newcastle to support one of our meetings. I can't remember what meeting it was. Pretty sure it was late in the year rather than in the summer. Uh, probably stayed up in Livingston. David's got family over there. Morris perhaps had other interests for going to Livingston at that particular stage in his life. And... Uh, I'll quickly learn to have anyway. Um, and was, it was a, I remember that being a blessing to us, that desire to travel 150 miles, to travel across the Pennines, to come up the M74 for a gospel meeting. What a great example that is. And we've tried as a congregation to do that, to encourage others. We went to the Peterhead at men's dinner, for example. The only reason they have it is because Adam insists. And we all get in the car and hurtle our way up there. And Derek will be coming this year. doesn't know it yet, but he will be. And we'll be going up there this year. And I, I think it's greatly encouraging for Brevin. And it seems that ever since then, whenever Morris is the chance, he likes to come and worship here at Coming Up. And, and, and we thank you for that. I think that's great. And that maybe reflects something about the love that people have for each other. He mentioned that in his prayer. We are bound together by something that itself is unbreakable. The love that God has for us. Adam's going to announce it a little bit later. I think he mentioned it anyway this morning, but 
Oh, St. Paul, they get married at the end of November. That meant the exchanging of vows. And oftentimes, as Adam will tell you, because he's done quite a few weddings in his career, in his lifetime, that one of the things that sometimes gets stuck in there is forsaking all of us. Giving up on everything else that's out there. Choosing a monogamous relationship. Choosing one person in your life to devote a very special and a particular kind of love. And there are many of us who sit here this morning who are married and are devoted in that particular way to a particular person and nothing else can get in the way of that love that we share for that individual. There is a binding love between two people that they've agreed upon and they've made it exclusive. Brethren, our love for God is an exclusive kind of love. We're involved in a relationship with Him that goes beyond anything that we can really uh, touch and understand in this life. A a love that we have to have for God that is greater and deeper, that is perhaps best exemplified in the love that a husband and a wife have. Ephesians chapter 5 will talk about um, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loves the church. And the love that God has for us and asks of us is to be a very exclusive kind of love. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, he uses the same passage, uses the same words in effect in the sermon that he gives there. But who do we choose in this life? I remember, every now and then I think about this. I moved to Cumbernauld in 1994. 16 years I've been in Cumbernauld. Moved over from Edinburgh, settled down here, single man. And I cast my I didn't even know about living. I knew of Elizabeth, but there was nothing there. There was no love interest. There was no, there's some young lady in Livingston that I might have a particular eye on, and I might just come up and visit periodically just to keep an eye on her. It didn't happen when I first moved to Cumbernauld. It quickly happened. Can't hear the bell. Watch out, guys. That's what happens for a lot of us. And suddenly I was in love with someone. And we got married in 1995 and we're nearly 15 years married. Quickly, checking on my maths. Same nearly, we've just got past 14 years. But I look back in that first year and a half or so that I spent in Cumbernauld, and for the life of me, I can't remember what I used to do between May of 1994 when I moved here. Let me rephrase that. August of 1994 and December of 1995. I say August because for three months uh, or three weeks, depending on your uh, recounting of the particular incident, I had Adam, Melanie and Nicole staying with me. So there was lots of company and activity in the house at the time um, from about midnight to three o'clock in the morning because they were building a house and they were back and forward all the time and got me involved in it. But I tried to remember, what was it like to be a bachelor in Cumberland? And for the life of me, I don't really remember it. Because what I remember is the life I've had with my wife. The exclusive times that we share as husband and wife. The exclusiveness of our love as two people upon the earth. Brethren, we are to have an exclusive love for God. Forsaking all other things. Forsaking all others if necessary. And Jesus will speak repeatedly and often about that during his ministry, about having a love for God that says if you have the choice between God and the world, you've got to choose God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15, there's an incident that talks there about the unbelieving partner, the unbelieving spouse who departs. And it says, let them depart. You're not under bondage. 
That's not to say that there's a freedom to remarry, but rather what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, even in the binding contract that exists between a husband and wife, there is one that is even more exclusive. One that is even greater, and it is that love that we have to have for God. And if your marriage is such that you've got a partner who insists it's me or your God, God says you choose me every time. That's how exclusive our love for God is meant to be. There is only room for one loyalty in the Christian life. Man's love for God is to be a love that is founded upon gratitude. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 7. And we'll look here. Um, it's really only a couple of verses I'm going to focus on, but I think it's helpful if we need to go through a, a larger context to understand what Jesus is um, teaching us here, trying to get us to understand. I think if we understand gratitude, we understand that why love is connected to this. I think if we have grateful lives, we understand a, we have a better understanding, I should say, of what love really is. Begin with me in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and they sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of uh, fragrant oil. She stood at his feet, behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she began to wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and she anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself. And he said, this man, if he really were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. You can draw your own conclusions as to what that word sinner is implying. Jesus answered and said to him, notice, Jesus answered, he said to himself in his head, and Jesus replies to what's going on in his head, who but the son of man can read minds? Who but the son of man knows what's going on inside the heart of a man? But he answers the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, it's about 500 days wages. The other, 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. She washed my feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven? Same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice, first of all, in verse 42. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which one of them will love him the most. In verse 47, I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven? The same loves little. Luke 
In, the, in another parable, we'll talk about he who is worthy of many stripes will receive many stripes. He's worthy of a few stripes, he'll receive a few stripes. The greater the sin, the greater the punishment. The less the sin, the less of the punishment. Still punishment, but degrees of punishment. But you don't really come across in Scripture someone saying, he who did many great works will receive a really big crown. And he who didn't do so many great works, he won't get as big a crown. But the understanding of the, of the concept of understanding of the salvation that we have is seen in the appreciation, the gratefulness in our hearts for what God has done for us in our lives. I think of someone like Jack or Andrew Gardner who have been in the church since, I don't know, they probably were in first name terms with the disciples, I don't know. You know, guys that have just grown and matured and developed a faith. Think of women in the church that have been in the same, who are the same. I think of Don McWhorter, a friend who died the 1st of December 2007, uh, 2008, sorry. And, and a letter I recently got from his wife. And, and she wrote in it, it's been a year since Don died. And it was, he could, every word was just saying that her heart had been torn asunder. A life spent with somebody people who are well past the age of retirement and still labouring in the vineyard and it just seemed that her life was almost torn apart when Don died because it happened so quickly I mean he was very ill but he had various ailments but he went downhill very rapidly and before then we knew he was gone and then she wrote in this but then I found a book he'd written and I started reading it and I remembered all the things that we'd shared together in our studies of the scripture. And then I found some tapes because Don for 50 years was a radio preacher. So I put them in my cassette and I heard his voice. A gratitude for a love that she had for a man. Memories of a love that they shared together and a devotion to a person throughout their lives. Brethren, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Siobhan's been a Christian for a few years. But her sins, we may say, well, they don't really come close to Ronnie's sins. Ronnie's sins don't really come close to my sins. My sins, better stop there. And so we may all have a different response and a gratitude to what God has done for us. But brethren, a sin will keep you out of heaven. One sin got mankind thrown out of the presence of God. And when we begin to examine just how much God loves us in the cross, just how much God gave for us in Jesus, just how much God did for us through His Son, and begin to allow gratitude to swell and well up within us, to fill up our lives and to pour forth from every fiber of our being that will transform the love that we have for God the gifts of God's love demand in return the whole love of our hearts for all that is said and done for us by him how much more should we respond toward him because of that our love for God needs to be an obedient love there have been some things written, things that I'm hearing from pulpits in other parts of the country, things I'm reading in magazines and elsewhere that begin to trouble me, that seem to 
question what obedience really is, and question what it is we should really be obeying. There's some things that are being said about our relationship with God that just seem to be blurring the lines somewhat as though some things don't need to be obeyed in the way that others need to be obeyed. Then our love for God needs to be an obedient love. And the New Testament lays it down very clearly that the only way that we can really prove that we love God is by giving Him an unquestioning obedience. If God says it, that settles it. Who are we to argue with God? In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus in speaking there says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If I've told you to do it, do it, and I'll know that you love me. In verse 21 he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. If you want to love God, do what God's asked of you. If you want to be in a good relationship with the Father, get in a good relationship with the Son. you want to get in a good relationship with the Son, do what he's told you to do. Obey him. And beginning in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my father, he will love him. We will come. Uh, we will come to him. We will make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Christianity is not something you get around to doing. And think that you're okay with God. Christ has asked of us, we need to do it. John 13 and verse 35, Jesus says there, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what has Jesus commanded us to do? To love God? I can love God. To love Jesus? I can love Jesus. To love the church? I can love the church. Well, the church is the people. Can you love the people in the church? I can love the people in the church. What about him? Can we redefine just what makes somebody in the church? Brethren, you can't do that. If somebody's your brother or your sister in Christ, God has commanded you to love them. We've explored some of this. And in our next lesson, we'll explore significantly more about our love for each other. We'll come back to that. Uh, if you want to just put a wee point there, uh, a wee note to see, make sure Graham covers those particular points again when we come back to them. And see what's involved in that. Because loving your brethren, just, it doesn't necessarily mean just putting up with them. Sometimes love for people means correction and chastisement and edification and exhortation. Reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with all manner of love, as Paul would say to Timothy. But we have to love. In chapter 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if I can keep his commandments, you can keep his commandments. If keeping his commandments meant that I could live in his love, if you keep his commandments, you can get his love. If you want to enjoy the fullness of God's love, all you have to do is do what he's asked of you. Unquestioning obedience before the Father. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, Whoever keeps his word 
truly the love of God is perfected in him, by this we know that we are in him. I like the idea of being perfect. And the way for me to be perfect is to do what God has asked of me. To obey him. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, they are not burdensome. We can do what God has asked of us. And in doing so, we begin to reflect more of the love that God has for us and demonstrate what it really means to be a loving people. I think, as the church, we really need to get a handle on what it means to be a people of love. I think it really is a demand on us that we've slept in many respects over the last few years. But we need to get back to being the people of love that is spoken of in the New Testament. In Second John, in verse 6, John says, This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Hebrews 5, verse 12, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, it's needful that someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Because you have become those who, you should be eating meat, but become as those who need to go back to drinking milk again. But what is, what are the first principles of the oracles of God? And those things that set the foundation for the rest of our lives, that's where we need to be building our lives from. Our obedience is the final proof of our love, and our Christianity will mature. It will develop. It will grow. It will become stronger because we got the foundation right at the very beginning. Adam will tell you what it takes to build a house. And it's all about the foundation. No matter how much you build on top of it, if the foundation's not right, it ain't going to last. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The first principles of the oracles of God the foundation upon which we build our lives is simply God loves us and has called upon us to do the same and has proven that through Christ. Man's love for God is going to be an outgoing love. It's not a love you can hide. It's not a love that can bury in there. Polly, I hope that when Morris said I love you and the day that you get married he said it every day since. And I hasn't written down a wee note like I told you the day you get married, I love you. And if I ever changed my mind, you'd be the first to know you better not be doing that. Good man, that's what I like to hear. Our love has to be an outgoing love. And you know what? Our love just can't simply be about those words, I love you. Our love has to be about the way we treat one another, the things we say to one another, the time we spend with each other, the things we do for one another, the gifts, the kindnesses, the gentlenesses that we display to one another. Love, if it's truly there, cannot be hidden. It is an outgoing manifestation of what is firmly within ourselves. The fact that we love God is proved by the fact that we love and help our fellow man. Again in First John, this time in chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. How we treat each other, the time we're willing to invest in each other, the prayers that we're willing, as Adam started off with a worship service this morning, the prayers that we give to one another and dedicate our entire year, entire lives to 
are a manifestation of the love that we have for one another. As we've said before, as I've heard Adam say before, and I'll say it again, you can't stay angry at somebody when you're praying for them. Try it. See how long you can be angry with someone when you're asking God to help you be a forgiving person, a more understanding person, a better Christian, a more loving individual, somebody who relishes in the love that God has for you. In 1 John 4 and verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who, uh, he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Read Revelation 21 verse 8 to see what happens to liars. And liars are described here as those who do not love their brethren. Who do not care for them, do not concern themselves for them, have given up and refused to participate in their lives, or even mock and ridicule them and treat them in uh, terrible and disgraceful ways. They're people of love. Let us manifest that in our day-to-day living as Christians. In 1 John 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. If God can love me, I can love anybody. Because if God's willing to put up with me for an eternity, there's nobody that's ever been born that I can't spend an eternity with. That's not just a reflection upon me, that's just a reflection upon the fact that I was a sinner and God loved me and saved me from that through his son Jesus. Who is there in this world whom we have seen is not more worthy, more deserving of the love of God than we are? In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10, He who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. He who loves his brother abides in the light. John opens up with this idea of if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have the forgiveness of his sins. Well, one of the things you do to continue to walk in the light is love the brethren. I have, jokingly, maybe I should take it down, I have behind me when I'm working in my office two little posters. Lucy meets Charlie Brown. And in the first one, she's kind of a teddy bear, just give you a intriguing picture. And Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I love humanity. And in the next picture, she's torn my head off the teddy bear and saying, it's people I can't stand. Brethren, we can't love the church and not love the people who are the church. We have to be a people that manifest that love through everything that we see. Failure to help men proves that our love for God is unreal and untrue. In 1 John 3 and verse 17, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Adam was telling me this morning he's going to be doing the book of James with the teenagers. Go to James chapter 2 and read from about verse 14. And if you see your brother destitute or naked and say to him, be warmed and filled and that's all, what does it profit you? Someone doesn't profit him any. Words are useless. The people of God are a people of action. And our love for God has to be seen in the way that we treat each other. How do we know that Jesus really loved the Father? Because of everything that he said? Because of his great lessons? Because Matthew 5, 6 and 7 continue today as probably the greatest single collection of sermons that the world has ever heard? Because Jesus could walk in water? Because he could feed the 5,000? Because Jesus could raise the dead and make the blind to see and the deaf to hear? Or is it not just also in the compassion 
and the concern and the care is the love that Jesus had for the people not best surmised by two words. Jesus wept. Obedience to God, loving help towards men, are the two things which prove our love for God. If we sit here on a Sunday morning and we sing songs about loving God, if we sing songs about the love of God that's in our, hand, in our hearts, if we talk about the love of God that we just feel swelling up within inside us, and yet cannot display that love that God has for all men everywhere, if we cannot demonstrate it towards each other, we're letting God down. We're not loving God the way that God has asked us to love Him. In fact, really, we're just not loving God. Because the way that we treat one another is going to demonstrate that. And in our next sermon in a couple of weeks, we'll explore more about what's involved in that. But our love for God is demonstrated to us by Him and by the way we treat one another. Let's be recognized as being the church of love. We can put Church of Christ over the top, but let's make sure in bigger letters, the church of love is who and what we are. For God has called us to be such. God bless you.